1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Help us now, Father, as we read this, your word, recorded and preserved for us, that we might learn, that our minds might be changed, that our conviction would be deep, that we might live in a way that honors you by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. How have you suffered for Christ this past week? Snickers, not the candy bar, you know what I'm talking about. People, she's a Christian. Have you experienced that yet again this week? And people laugh, I don't need any of that phony, baloney, Jesus stuff. Or did you hide your faith? Or maybe you just kept it hidden, safer that way, isn't it? You know, time for a meal, there you are in restaurants and... And what do you do? Do you pray? No, you rub your eyebrows, right? And people don't really know that you are grateful to God for his faithful provision in your life. You hide it. Don't leave the Bibles out. We have company coming. All of the ways that we hide it from others. Perhaps when people ask what you're doing this week, you tell them everything but what you're doing right now. I just got a haircut. Thank you very much. Thanks for noticing. And uh, the, the lady who cuts our hair, she says, what you doing this week? You know, other than going to church. Is it not known in your life that you are a follower of Christ? How can you keep it hidden, my friend? How can you keep it hidden? Doesn't feel good when people belittle you, does it? Hmm. It seems the average Christian does everything they can to avoid the condescending looks and comments of co-workers, friends, family members when they learn of your faith in Jesus. But did you know this, my friend, that persecution is supposed to be, hear me when I say this, supposed to be a normal experience for every Christian. You know, when you live out your faith, and I'm not talking about buying the big sweatshirt, say, I love Jesus, and, and make sure you hang posters in your office and put signs in your, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living out your faith. How could you possibly live out your faith around other people and they not know? I don't see how that's possible. But when you do that, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And they hated him. And so you have a choice to make. Do I live it out? Do I live out this life in a way that honors the Lord Jesus? Or do I hide it? to avoid the snarky comments of unbelievers. Big question to answer, isn't it? Perhaps you've already answered that in your life and determined, 
I'll just be a kind of a secret Christian. Not everybody needs to know. The Lord knows. Hmm. You know, Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 5, 11, and 12. He said, blessed are you. Listen, you want to be blessed? Oh, ears perk up. How do I get blessed? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Well, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know where the good stuff is? When you make a stand and people hate you for it. Because great is your reward in heaven, my friends. Matthew 24. Here we are at the end of this gospel. We're getting there. And Jesus is preparing his disciples to transform the world. And he tells them, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. This is the life to which you have been called. They forget to mention that when you prayed to trust in Jesus, to ask him to forgive your sins. I'm telling you now. Paul wrote, wrote to uh, Timothy, in verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. These are universal terms. If you live your life as God has called you to live it, people will hate you, and that will hurt. One day in this country, I don't know, they may arrest people like you and I. It happened in other countries, why not here? They may push you to death. You know what Jesus says about that? Blessed are you, for great is your reward. The reward for those who live it out and only worry about God's opinion of it. No one else's. Paul taught it. And the church at Thessalonica listened. You see, they're a relatively young church. This church in Thessalonica. Yet you recall we went to uh, Acts chapter 17. Learned about Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy. And how they ministered there in Thessalonica. And how numbers of people were coming to faith in Christ. And the Jews, the Jews hated it. And they, became, they, they got together a group of troublemakers to cause trouble for Paul. And they were hoping to get him arrested or at least get him out of there. But that's how the church started, in the midst of persecution. And they were just new babes. And they watched as the, all of these people hated Paul. But now as they're growing up, guess what? The persecution's on them. As a matter of fact, that's the reason Paul wrote this letter. Take a look with me, if you will, again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
where Paul lays out three ways to minister that he is ministering to this church absently. Remember, they chased him out of town. And where he went after that, they chased him away from there as well. They hated him because of the gospel. They hated him. So three ways that Paul ministered to these people who were suffering persecution. And you will notice in verses 1 to 5, the first thing he did is stand with them, even from a distance. Notice, my friends, in verses 1 and 2. Now, at the end of verse, uh, our chapter uh, of 2, you remember he was talking about how much he missed them, how he longed to be with them. They were his joy and his crown and, and how he couldn't wait. And this, this continues. Therefore, in light of these things, when we could bear it no longer... He's talking about being away from them. We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And so this was the plan. Silas was off on another ministry. Timothy was the only one with Paul. And he said, I could bear it no longer. So he sends Timothy. And here is Paul, left alone. He's going to stand with them, and he's going to give his best to them. And he sends Timothy. Now, everybody seems to know a little bit about Timothy. He's a young guy, maybe immature a little bit. And, but that isn't the way Paul saw Timothy at this point in his ministry. You see, in sending Timothy to stand with them, he was left alone, and he lost an important partner. Look at verse 2. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker. See, Timothy... Paul thought of Timothy as not only a brother in Christ, but a partner in ministry. Not a tag-along guy who was just trying to learn something from the great apostle Paul. He saw him as a partner in the gospel of Christ. And he sent him for this reason, look at this, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Now you could study this, this chapter and learn another of, uh, a number of the risks to your faith in enduring persecution. Paul was concerned that they would just say, I ain't doing this anymore and walk away. I'm not telling anybody anything about Jesus if this is what it costs me. And so he was concerned about their faith. And he sent Timothy to establish them and exhort them. And for this reason, my friends, he gave them his best, Timothy. And he did so for the grounding of this church. Look at verse 3. See, he sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. And notice what he says here. For you yourselves know this that we're destined for this. Who's the we? Paul and Timothy? Believers. Every last one of us. We are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know. My friends, he sent his best he sent Timothy to stand with them. 
for the grounding of the church. Again, for this reason, verse 5. When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain, that the evil one would sneak in and tell some lies, you know, just like Adam and Eve. Did God really say, does God really want you to have to endure this? You know, a lot of people run when they're in it. You know, maybe we should just pretend we're not Christians <laughs> so we don't have to endure this and then just secretly. Gospel doesn't go very far when people keep it to themselves, does it? And here's the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, will die because of his faith, because of his ministry. And he's telling them, you heard what Jesus said, we read it. We were born for this. This is exactly what God said would happen. So for this reason, again, because I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the evil one, the tempter, he's talking about Satan, had somehow tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And so he stood with them. He sent his very best, Timothy. And then he encouraged them. Look at verses 6 to 9 here. But now, you see, in between the sending of Timothy, Timothy went and he encouraged and he brought Paul back a report. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, you see, Paul's listing out what's good going in their lives to encourage them. You see, the church is marked by faith and love. Church is marked by faith and love here. And he reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. What a relationship Paul had with this church. The church that thought kindly about them. Unified in the faith. Nothing draws people together better than persecution, I'll tell you that. Let's make this stand together. Let us endure this together. Let us own it, knowing that great is the reward of the one who lives it out and pays for it. So he encourages them by reminding them that what Timothy saw was faith and love. And I'll tell you what, friends, of all the things he could have saw and things that Paul was afraid he might see, they were doing pretty well in the midst of their affliction marked by faith and love the church thought kindly about them and the news look at the news here in verses 7 to 9 and the impact it had on Paul you want to brighten his day my friend this is how you do it you live it well and he says in verse 7 for this reason brothers in all our distress and affliction we have been comforted about you through your faith. Standing 
Making a stand, living it out well, regardless of what it cost, was a great encouragement to Paul. And he says in verse 8, for now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. The word stand means to endure, to stay where you are and not be shaken. Making no adaptation, well, I'll talk a little soft, well, I'll put that, I won't wear that shirt, I won't talk about, I won't pray before I eat, lest somebody, they didn't make a change. They simply lived out their faith. They lived it out, and it cost them, and they didn't move. Hurt though it may be, fearful though it may be, Apparently, they had a God who was bigger than their afflictions. And they stood fast. And notice, their standing brought joy. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake, before our God? You see, Paul knew what was ahead for them. What it may cost them on earth would be more than enough worth it in heaven. Again, I say these words, great is your reward in heaven. He's not saying going to heaven is the reward. Oh, it's going to be better than that. Imagine standing before the Lord who says, look what you did for me. You trusted me. You endured the insults and the attacks and the hurtful comments for my sake because you believed me. Great is your reward in heaven, my friends. And so Paul stood with them. He said, I'd rather be all here by myself enduring affliction alone than to let them endure it without help. And he sent Timothy away. He encouraged them with his great report, all of the observations of Timothy, seeing all of the good things that they were doing and the impact it was having. And finally, he prayed for them. He prayed for them. Notice here in verse 10. He prayed first that he might be able to return again to teach them. As we pray most earnestly, verse 10, night, earnest night and day that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Again, these, these are still young believers. They still had some growing to do and truth to understand and live out. And Paul couldn't wait to be with them. And he says in verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself as our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. If you and I were trying to figure out what, what the, the people in persecution in our world today would need, you might say strength and courage. Here's Paul talking about now. Let's just get back to the root. Faith and love. If you are rooted and grounded in Christ, you can endure almost anything. 
And so may the Lord here, he says, make the Lord would cause them to abound in love, he's praying. And the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Oh, not, not the people that are hurting us, right? Yeah. Remember when Jesus talked about love and he said, love your, say it, enemies. It messes with their minds and they begin to wonder what's different about these people. What's different that they endure that when they can just hide it? When they could have just been quiet about it? They just would have kept their mouth shut and said, you know what, I want to pray for you. I know that your family's going through a difficult, oh, just shut up. Don't you know what they'll say? But great is your reward in heaven, my friends. And so here is Paul, ministering as we ought to minister, to stand with them, to encourage them, and to pray for them. You know, nothing reveals how much you value something more than your willingness to endure persecution for it. Bible to go. Bible to go. Nothing reveals how much you value something more than your willingness to endure persecution for it. And so we would say, my friends, that those people in Thessalonica sure must have loved the Lord to endure that. Which always leads to the big mirror in the face. What about me? What am I willing to endure for Jesus' sake? Am I willing to step out of the darkness, stop hiding my faith in Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about yelling at people. Hey, do you love Jesus? That's just weird. That's just weird. We love people. You live out your faith. You don't hide it. You don't have to throw it in someone's face, my friends, but you don't hide it. You live it out as Jesus called you to do so. Because you know if it costs you everything, great is your reward in heaven. That sounds good, doesn't it? Great is your reward in heaven. You stand before Jesus with a giant smile on his face. And he says, you did it. Is that not what you live for? To please Him? Oh, I hope it is. So stop hiding your faith. Or your Bible, or your prayers, or your love for God. And maybe support others who are suffering for their faith. I wonder if you ever heard of the voice of the martyrs. They got a website, and I'll bet if you type in Google Voice of the Martyrs, it'll take you right there. And you can learn something about people who are making a stand for their faith, 
They say we will live it out whatever it cost because they know great is their reward in heaven. So go to their website and learn about who is suffering and how they're suffering. And it'll even teach you how to pray for them, my friends. How to pray for them. And maybe even you want to join them. Maybe you want to speak up for Jesus. You know what could really help you? The same thing that transformed my life. Tell them how Jesus died for your sin and he rose from the dead. And how he forgave your sin and gave you a new life and a new spirit, a new nature. Speak up for Jesus. And as you think about such thing, I want to remind you yet again of Jesus teaching in Luke 16 about a rich man and Lazarus. This passage centers me, my friends. It aligns what matters in this world. You see, the rich man is in Hades. That's a place for the unbelieving dead awaiting judgment. And it is a place, my friend, of great torment. And so there is this man who is in agony. And the first thing that comes to his mind is this. What about me? Just as you'd expect. He says, send Lazarus to Abraham. Go send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and put it on my tongue because I'm in agony in here. What about me? And then he has second thoughts. Send Lazarus to my brothers, lest they end up in this place of agony that has no end and no relief. And they're not even in hell yet. That is still yet a future date, my friends, when all those who reject God will be cast into the lake of fire. This is why we cannot hide our faith. Apparently, in eternity, we will still think about others' condition. Stop hiding your faith. Live it out. Open your mouth, speak. You never know the soul that might be saved. When I think about this rich man that says, send somebody, that's a prayer I pray sometimes. God, raise up somebody in their life to speak up, to talk to them, to live out Christ in front of them that they might know you. And then I think, you ever think that maybe you're supposed to be that person in someone else's prayer? That someone is praying that someone like you 
would just speak up and talk to them about what Christ has done in your life and what he can do in their lives. And frankly, if we're not going to do that, we're wasting our time here. You could have been sleeping in, maybe even got a Boston cream donut at Dunkin'. I had one of those plain ones today. Suffered, I have. <laughs> Let's align our hearts in this, friends. We know what is right. And we know why it's right. Because if Paul doesn't go where people hate them and preach the gospel, the church is not planted there. This letter is not written to encourage them and to teach us. Edward Kimball, one of those names in history, goosebumps on my arm, shoe salesman. Just a, he's a shoe salesman. Nothing wrong with selling shoes, I guess. But God put it in his heart to go and talk to this guy named Dwight. His last name was Moody. And he led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And apparently, the Lord opened his eyes to see what you and I keep looking away from what God could do if we just preach the gospel. You know what they said about him in Chicago? They called him Crazy Moody. Well, there's Crazy Moody preaching the gospel. And he was, he was not smooth. Hey, do you know Jesus? Well, that's not very kind. We've got to be kinder when we talk to people. A whole lot of people are in heaven because God used a guy named D.L. Moody who said, well, why wouldn't I speak up? Look what God has done in my life. Why wouldn't I want that in someone else's life? Edward Kimball, you have no idea when you speak up the dominoes that start to drop. Gonna be a good day in heaven for Edward Kimball. You did it. I said to open your mouth, and you did. And behold all of the people who are in heaven. Started a school you may have heard of. What's it called? Uh, Moody Bible Institute, I think, is what it's called. It's where I went and met my wife. Great, great things God has done because Edward Kimball opened his mouth and communicated the gospel. Well, friends, I could keep doing this, but you'll leave. So, so we're going to stop there. But when this rich man stopped thinking about himself so much and put his eyes on someone else, he started praying, Oh, God, raise up someone. Be that someone this week. Father, help us. Oh, Father, meet with us now. You know the things going on in our hearts. 
Some of us are running away from it in our mind, and I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to go there. Oh, change our mind. Oh, Spirit of God, convict us. Lead and guide us, empower us, that we would be the witnesses that we must be. Knowing great, great, mega is our reward in heaven. Help us, God, that we might please you in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.